Welcome to the Soccer Geeks Podcast, hosted by Jason Barbato. Hey everybody, welcome to the Soccer Geeks Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Barbato. Not with me today is my show's producer, Marissa Kelly. So yes, I'm flying solo, but let me tell you, it's for an incredibly wonderful reason. Today is the Find Me, uh, Adopt Me Day for Marissa. She's adding to her household by Plus One Puppers, a really cute guy by the name of Gunnar Winston, which, of course, Marissa is a massive Arsenal fan, so it only makes sense that her pupper's name is Gunnar to join her household with her and her husband, Mike, and their other pup, Lupe, who is like the coolest dog on the freaking planet. So, Marissa, congratulations. I know that it was a long drive back to Tennessee. I also know that your pupper's is not really world-worthy right now, so what a mess to clean up. However, I'm super happy to uh, eventually see your puppers on camera and to see all his little adventures. Uh, and if anybody ever wants to know uh, about Marissa, you can always find her on Instagram and or Twitter where she's incredibly active and has accounts for both her dogs as well. So Marissa, congratulations on the addition of your household. However, we've got a podcast to record today. And let me tell you guys, we have a really, really wonderful guest today. Uh, We're going to be speaking with Maggie Bell. Maggie, a uh, wonderful, fantastic youth player, great college player as well. Also played a little bit abroad in and through her experience of playing and some of the, the experiences that she had as a player uh, really helped further develop her passion in the sport, uh, an opportunity that she saw and a need that needed to be met. And so we're going to be kind of talking about that's going to be contextually more focused for college uh, athletes across the country and how to navigate through the um, the standards that are set for you as being a college athlete and some of the tricky, tricky things that you have to uh, and pitfalls you have to, to be aware of and to avoid. And so if you are planning on ever being a college athlete and or you're the parent of an athlete, a college athlete player, today's podcast is really going to benefit you. And even if you're not, this is great info. So let me go ahead and get Maggie here on the show. Maggie, welcome. How are you? Thanks so much for joining us on the Soccer Geeks podcast. How are you doing today? Hi, Jason. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. Heck yeah, you are. Uh, Maggie, um, it's a joy. You're always just over the top beaming with joy every time we've had an opportunity just to kind of talk. I, your smile and your presence is so infectious, and I really enjoy um, so far the conversation that we've had. And so I'm really looking forward to you sharing about your playing days and then how that's leading to your your, your non-playing passion uh, to continue to have a really positive effect on the game, which we love on our show. So thanks so much for sharing today. Yeah, I'm, like I said, excited to be here. And like, it's, you know, there's been bumps in the road, but everything in my past, past playing career has led me to be able to continue to be involved in the sport. Um, Absolutely. So, yeah, yeah. We are always a culmination of all of our experiences, our success and our successes and our failures. And so when we look at it, look at through our life, through that, that kind of, uh, that mindset, we don't, we don't see just the good things that happen to us to produce great things, but the bad things that we push through help us too. And so that, that's always great contextually as we're, as we're thinking about that. So, uh, Maggie, uh, fun fact, by the way, Maggie, you are, you're not only one of five, but you're also a triplet set, which is pretty, pretty rare. I would, I would Rare. say, and I would say Rare. my parents make awesome now at the time. I don't know if my dad would have <laughs> your poor that. parents, your poor parents. Yeah. I imagine going from like a sedan to like an 18 passenger van was probably a pretty big. Yeah. We had what's a the big, what, 
<laughs> yeah, this, you had a Tahoe. Okay, three yep. rows. Yeah, I I get that. I get that. I totally understand it. So, uh, your poor dad. Does your dad? Does your dad have as much gray hair as I do at my age, or or no um, hair or less, less hair? I would say <laughs> completely <laughs> understand it. No, it's okay. Yeah. God bless him. I completely understand like that to be the case. Um, so for all the dads out there, Hey, we're with you. Uh, Maggie, uh, can you share with us? Uh, we want to broad brush kind of your, your, your playing career kind of growing up and in, in, in what your experiences were like. So if, if you don't mind sharing for us, you know, talk to us a little bit about, you know, playing as one of five in a large family, uh, kind of, uh, what that pathway looked like for you, let's say kind of pre-academy level, kind of like at the youth level, like, like tell us a little bit about your, your, your relationship with the game. Yeah. So it really started when I was probably three or four years old, like most players these days. Um, we had a lot of kids in our family. And so my parents got us into sports right away. Uh, yeah. We all started. Keep them busy. Yeah. <laughs> they needed us to have some place <laughs> sure. to get our energy out. Yeah. Um, you know, organized all the carpools and then we're like, okay, we're good. Uh, so we all pretty much started in soccer at some point. Um, that was, you know, it's a lot of people's first sport. Typically it was mine and my siblings as well. We played like one year of co-ed when I was four, I think with my brother and my sister, my triplet siblings. Um, and then after that, we were going to go try out for the select team. Um, that wasn't co-ed anymore. And there was some, something with another parent where my dad, the parent who was going to be the coach said like, Oh yeah, we'll see if your girls can make the team. And my dad was like, heck no. Like I'm going to have them go try out for the local comp team, which was um, what ended up being my club for 10 years, Placer United. Um, and all my other siblings stopped playing soccer pretty quick, but I just had fallen in love with the game and didn't give it up and still have this crazy love for it. So sure. Yeah, so was, of your siblings, you were the only one to continue playing soccer? Yes. Yeah. Um, wow, okay. My older brother played soccer through high school, but not at like a super high level. Um, everyone else stopped pretty early on and pursued other sports. We all okay. we all were big sport people still, but big I don't sports, but that. but you were the one playing soccer. Okay, great. So and 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 another thing that it, I find just so fascinating, and this is this is rapidly changing in the landscape of soccer today is having somebody play at a club for 10 years now now i don't know necessarily how things are up in placerville right in central uh, upper central california whatever will but but i imagine that what's that right outside of sacramento Uh, yeah i imagine there's more than a handful of clubs in the area and there's a lot of you know exchanging and going here for a year or this coach for two years so tell me a little bit about the benefits of staying at a club for 10 years Looking back, I would say it's probably one of the most formative non-decision decisions I've ever made. Um, okay. It wasn't really up to me at the time, okay. partially because being one of five kids. Like I had teammates who, you know, would leave the team and throughout the 10 years, because I started playing when I was eight with them, um, would either, yeah, go to the other local club or would, you know, drive down to the Bay Area and partake in one of those programs because they yeah. had exposure eventually to like ECNL Academy. Um, and now at the, and now I think Placer, I think I still get their emails. I think they're now ECNL or Academy um, okay. or DA. Well, like back they've then been it, that was now. DA, right? Yeah. Like that's kind of your era, right? Of kind of coming uh, that into. Was, ECNL was my era really. Um, still. The first okay. round of it. Mm-hmm. The first round of ECNL. And okay. We, okay. we were not ECNL. Um, our other local club was, and that took a lot of people away. Uh, and yeah, like I think 
of course there's draw to be like, okay, if you want to play in college or whatever, like you need to do these things. My parents yeah. were always supportive of me because I was pretty good at soccer at the time. But I mean, I remember them giving us the talk in eighth grade, the summer before freshman year, our coaches were like, okay, if you want to play in college, start making a list of 20 schools, start emailing coaches. Um, and my dad was like, are you crazy? They're in eighth grade. And then I was you know, <laughs> one of the first people committed on my team. Um, wow. Okay. through sophomore year. So, okay. Um, yeah. Now that's, yeah. I mean, so, so tell me a little bit about, you know, for our audience that doesn't really know, like, hi, cats out of the bag. Like Maggie went to go on and play Cal Berkeley, right? One of the prominent programs in the country, especially on the West coast, but across the country as well. So Maggie, like that's a huge deal to go from a non ECNL club to being able to like kind of figure out as a sophomore, like have that commit, which is that's pretty flipping early, Maggie. <laughs> like that's, that's pretty wild, yeah. right? That doesn't happen often. Did you, did you play for your high school team? I mean, you know, kind of where was the, where was the rubber meeting the road for you as a player where that really got connected on the college scene? Yeah. So again, I was doing pretty well, eighth grade, freshman year. I was pretty, I just, you know, played soccer and people told sure. me I was good at it. So, um, I started going to ID camps, um, freshman year. And then, um, I got noticed at surf cup by a couple big teams, started getting asked for visits, a couple back East. And then, so both my parents went to Cal, so it was always a dream school, um, for sure. me. And I got noticed at a tournament by the Cal coach and then, went to one of their ID camps. Um, I think I forget if it was beginning of, I think it was beginning of sophomore year. And then from there, the process moved pretty quickly. Um, okay. The assistant coach really liked me and, you know, put me on the track of like, we want you, we want to commit you as soon as possible because they knew I was yeah. progressing a lot farther with um, other coaches across the nation. Right. You know, and there's been a number of coaches that we've talked to. Um, some of them are NDOCs, right? That are part of ECNL programs or GA programs, or even even non uh, GA or ECNL programs. And you know, what a lot of parents need to understand is that it it's not just about being at the biggest and best clubs in your area. It's about the best. It's about the best environment for you as a player. Can you talk a little bit about the environment for you as a player that allowed you, because I'm sure there was a time where you're like, oh, if I don't go join this club or this team, I'm going to miss out. But can you talk a little bit about the decision to kind of blossom where you're planted and to flourish there and to um, still grow in an environment that is not quote unquote, the best team in the the area? Yeah. I'm so glad you circled back to this because it was on my mind. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So again, I literally started when I was eight years old at Placer. Um, and then throughout, like it, it was a small club, like a small town, like everyone kind of knew who I was. You kind of know everyone throughout. I was such a dedicated person to a point where I don't understand why at 13 years old, I felt I had to go practice with the boys, but I yeah. did. Um, and so like all the guys, coaches knew me, um, my director of coaching, Ron Benjamin, he was, became the director of coaching the same year I joined Placer. Um, so we, he like had just started with the club and then I became whatever I stayed with it for 10 years. So yeah. even when I had other coaches that would come in and coach me, like it was such an environment where 
I could email him be like, Hey, can I do a one-on-one session with you and work on, you know, technique for this like specific ball I'm trying to learn to hit or whatever. Like if I was like, Hey, like, can I, do you have any boys teams I could practice with? Like, I want to get like my speed of play up a little bit. It was always such an environment where the coach would, you know, you go in and you're playing with the boys two years younger than them. And it's a little awkward, but the coaches would all be like, Hey, like Maggie's here. Like, you know, she's trying to go play in college or go play professionally. Like, you know, treat her like one of you. And then I would get to get those extra trainings. And so for me having that environment that was just so welcoming and so, so, so much about development. And that's one thing that Placer has always been known for that. I just happened to live 15 minutes away from where we trained, but Right. Like their, their club is a team that they, the club develops players. Their club is not looking to win every game when they're in the youth teams. Like it's not kick and right. run. It's definitely like learn how to play good soccer. And that's what right. they were most of. Incredibly rare, uh, incredibly rare, but DOCs, DOCs who are listening to this and coaches as well and Academy directors and things like that need to kind of take note that to, to be quite honest, it's, it's usually the parents that are emailing asking for those opportunities of players what what kind of empowered you to just kind of take your own your career and your pathway kind of to take that kind of on you instead of going like hey mom and dad can you make can you ask because I know plenty of players I've done it as a dad of my own girls right if like I feel like I have to be their advocate but but what what in the environment there helped you feel empowered to be your own advocate for growth in the game a good question. I think probably half of it has to do with the environment. Half of it has to do with the fact that I was one of five kids and my parents were happy. I liked (laughs) soccer and kind of had a hands-off approach from there. Um, And so I would also, I think part of Placer was like so much of it. Yes, there were, were, you know, parents who were the classic helicopter parents who would try and get really involved, but they had like a fair amount of meetings with coach or with keep saying coaches with parents, like Hey, this is your kid's sport. If they want to do something, like let them ask. And it, it wasn't like other girls on my team were looking to train with boys, but I again, I've always been such a curious person. And like I've before college, that was something that I always got good feedback about on my player evals was, you know, the desire to learn is always there. I was always looking to improve, always looking for ways to get better. And so I think yeah. at a certain extent, my coaches were like, okay, well, we'll just keep giving you that because that's what you keep yeah. asking for. So I think it was just a perfect storm of um, the situation, who I was as a person. And yeah, it really just gave me such an appreciation for the game. Yeah. Now, what did you feel being able to have those opportunities, being able to play a year up or being able to play with boys and, 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 you know, for, for, for parents that kind of don't have a lot of reference point there, you know, typically around that 12 and 13 year old age, girls grow really fast. uh, But boys, technically are really quick. They're, they're quick to slide tackle, quick to drop their head when like a mistake happens, uh, quick to foul, quick to respond. Everything is a little bit quicker at that age. And that's kind of where from boys and girls game, the game kind of starts to separate. So what would you say to, you know, the player that's out there that is looking to grow in their game? What, what would be the benefits of asking to be in kind of those training environments? where you're playing with now two years, that's wild. Like that is like, as again, as a dad, you know, I'd be a little afraid of your ACLs or getting slide tackled or whatever it is, or just basically standing there. Like you're just, 
you know, you know, stuck in the center divider watching traffic fly by you at a hundred miles an hour. Like what, how did you find a rhythm in that chaos? Yeah. <laughs> well, I think and if my evaluation's wrong, like rebuke me, like that's fine. No, but that's, that was part of the challenge though, was to yeah. like, at that point, it wasn't that the girls on my team weren't really good in their own right. And, you know, being in games wasn't valuable, but playing at that higher speed just forces you to make decisions faster in a way that I wasn't being challenged, like kind of with the mental aspect of the game. So yeah. I would be like mentally exhausted after those trainings of, with the boys is because they just force you to think that much faster. Like you don't take an extra touch. Like, you know, where you're going to play the ball before you get it. Um, and in a way, you know, you don't want to be embarrassed. This isn't your team. Sure. You're, you're out there. Like you want to be a part of it. And like, if anything, you want to impress them and be like, Hey, I'm here. I can do just as good as you can. Yeah. You want to justify being out there. Right. Instead of just getting of mocked of like, Oh, you know, cause that's going to happen. Like, and that's part of the trash talking oh, that goes on in the game. Like, and that's not necessarily a bad thing, but it's good. Boys and girls of that age are so awkward. Like there's always sure. going to be like, I remember with some trainings, like no one would talk to me, but then like by the end, like, all of them have like slowly followed me on Instagram to like be my friend. <laughs> like, you know I'm, sure. I'm sure Maggie. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's really, really cool. So speed of play, the ability to think um, quicker uh, awareness, you got to check your shoulder probably twice as fast because the bodies are just moving quicker. So there's, there's a lot of tools that can be gained even from being in an environment where you are failing, 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 but eventually you have to push through that and have to find some success, which yeah. again, trickling, trickling and leaving some breadcrumbs for us, like eventually where we're going to get in our conversation today. But so you, you have that environment at Placerville and United, right? You said Placer, Placer United. United. Yeah. Okay. Placer United. Okay. So you kind of go through that. Um, did you end up playing uh, high school ball? I did. Yeah. It was a okay. weird time. We were still allowed to play high school. My high school league was not competitive. Um, so I played for on varsity for my first three years. And then I actually graduated high school early. We were spring ball. Um, okay. And I was at Cal that spring. So I only got three seasons with my high school team. Okay. Wow. Um, just such a little overachiever for crying out loud. That's that's super awesome. <laughs> so you end up you end up kind of going up, you know, obviously not like you said, not a very competitive high school environment. Um, by the school that you guys were in. And then you guys go and you, you end up going to Cal. Uh, other other uh, female college athletes that we've talked to have talked about the massive jump from playing even at a very high level, higher level than you had played, like playing going from there to like big college programs and, and, and you not even playing at for an ECN and no offense here, right? Like you not playing for an ECNL club, you not playing for like a very competitive varsity team. Then you go to Cal, right? So the, the, the jump is, is it significant or are you like, yeah, I'm, I'm good. I got this. I've been playing with boys forever. So like, how, yeah. how was the jump going from your experience as a, as a youth player to a college athlete? Yeah, I, I played some ODP. Um, so I had like a little bit higher level experience outside of club. Um, but it, I was definitely worried about it and that's why I, went early. Um, I worked on that with my coach and a couple of people had done it at my high school and I was like ahead in my credit. So it was easy for me to do, but it's funny looking back. I don't know if I would recommend people going early. Yeah. Um, did again, you take a red shirt that first year? 
No. So I just, because, uh, fall soccer's fall. Um, yeah. I, I just enrolled in school early and could play spring ball okay. and I wasn't jeopardizing any of my eligibility. Okay. Um, but I was so worried about not being good enough when I got there that I, I made that decision. And in the end, like your first fall is just such a roller coaster. It, it doesn't make yeah. that big of a difference, but at the time it, it felt like it was the right decision for me. Um, I would say there was definitely a jump physically just because I'd never weightlifted before college. A lot of student athletes haven't. Um, so getting like pushed off the ball and like people are genuinely just faster. Like growing up, I was the fastest girl on my team. And then I get to college and I'm just kind of an average level of speed. Sure. Like endurance wise, I could run anyone into the ground, but speed was definitely Quickness, different. Yeah. Um, yeah. I also, what did you kind think? of a weird note would be yeah. like, I actually came in my my first spring, I think because the way I played was so confident, even if internally I wasn't, that I, I remember talking to girls and they were like, you're so good. And I don't know if, how much I actually improved after that because I didn't play with as mm. much confidence as I should have. Sure, um, sure. Yeah. Yeah, so, oh man, a uh, whole, a whole uh, a string of questions that can, can kind of come from there. <laughs> What what was that initially like for you kind of go, coming from, you know, a, a club you played at for 10 years to like a big college campus experience? Because you're playing with players who could be as much as five years older than you at that point. So you talk about being able to get bodied off the ball or quicker or just life experience. Um, mm -hmm. the, the chasm there is massive. Um, what were some of the things and, and, and you talked a little bit about like I had this confidence, but it but it was it was projection. It wasn't that I was confident. It was that I needed to appear confident because, holy cow, I'm terrified inside. What were some of the things that you that helped you along the way grow in confidence, even though you were feeling really insecure and unsure about yourself? Like, how did you how did you grow in that level of self confidence um, that that helped enable you to persevere in that environment? Yeah, I think part of it was like I had a great support system from my parents, from my family, from my old coaches. Um, me and my DOC, Ron, are still like in touch to this day. There's always someone, you know, you have mentors along the way who you can go back to and be like, hey, like, I don't feel like myself. And they just, you know, they talk you back down to earth and say like, hey, like, you're a good player. I've known you for a long time. I know this is new, but you're going to be able to get through it. Um, and also like to a certain extent, I was nervous about not being good enough, but I was keeping up in the training. So I wasn't as worried about that. I had a couple older classmen take me under their wing, which was awesome and are still friends to this day of mine. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, just like you find ways to, from external, like people to tell you like, okay, you are good enough, but you also just have to make that, that call yourself. And that was something that was hard for me because growing up, I'd always gotten that external, um, praise of like, you're so good. You're a good player. And I would, I was such a perfectionist. I always, yeah. you'll see, this is a theme of mine. I always thought I wasn't good enough. I had to try harder, train harder. Sure. Um, but like being able to tell yourself like, Hey, if you don't believe in yourself, no one's going to. So you need yeah. to make that change. And it's a hard hurdle to understand, but the sooner you can do it preferably before you get to college, the better. Yeah. And it's a little bit of big fish, small pond, small pond, or big pond, little fish, right? Mm -hmm. Where, and, and this happens to a lot of players in, in a thousand different contexts where, Hey, at the end of the day, 
you can even have coaches and family members and other players believe that you're the best. But if, if me mentally, if you start to doubt yourself in your own, your own ability, like that could be catastrophic for your development. And, you know, we, we talk a lot about mental training and stuff like that on the podcast. Um, we had, you know, who, a common friend who you and I have in, in Wells Thompson, you know, with soccer resilience, it kind of talked a little bit about the mental side of the game. Having a mentor is something that's incredibly important. Somebody who's just a couple steps ahead of you in, 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 for, in this context, right in soccer, but it, you should always have a mentor. Everybody out there should, whether you're in business, whether you're in life, whether you're a parent, always have somebody who's in the next stage or two stages ahead of you being able to just speak into your life. And, and you need to be humble enough to receive, receive some wisdom <laughs> and knowledge that your experience kind of lacks at the time. Um, and that, that becomes something that's really healthy now. Now I know that in, in one of the things I, I really want, I don't want, I want to get into some of your, your, your experience there as a college athlete that led to your work with case. Um, and so as you were this student athlete, as you were kind of growing and, and I, I mean, I just want to say Maggie, you know, it's one thing to think of players that play for top teams that play in top environments, have top coaches, have top talent that produce. There's another thing that players that don't come from the absolute best environments, but still have it within themselves to produce really wonderful careers and um, really become forged. And a lot of that is by self-belief, which, which I will say, you know, I, I think that your belief in yourself is probably greater than you even kind of imagine even looking back because of what you were able to do in the environments that you were in with, with all the instruction and everything that you had. That being said, you kind of, you shared with me a little bit. And I want you, I'd like for you to kind of touch a little bit with our audience on this is that you kind of shared some adversity from the coaching staff. Once you got there, um, was that, now, initially, I want to ask this, like, did you find some adversity among the, the players that you were competing against first? So let's start there. Did you find, you know, hey, who's this new girl? Who the hell does she think she is? You know, you're not that good, blah, blah, blah. Like, did you did you find that when you were in the the competitive collegiate atmosphere there at Cal? Honestly, I did not. Mm -hmm. Um, my team was so amazing. Like I, like I said, to this day, they are people I love and care about and everyone was really supportive. Even at times when we were pitted against each other, there was never an any animosity, at least from my experience between players, everyone was just trying their best and knew it. And yeah. there was enough issues going on sure. with <laughs> the coaching staff that I think everyone was just like, you don't need yeah. it from me. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Or like, yeah, the, one of my best friends to this day and I were pitted against each other for the same outside back position. And both of us were kind of like, okay, like you get to start today. Like, congrats. It has little to do right. with how we're playing. And um, yeah. yeah, again, it was not a team. There was no toxicity within the actual team itself, which I'm really thankful for and was a big part of why I did stay at Cal and finish out my career there. Yeah. Which is where that sisterhood kind of comes really important. I mean, I, I, I know that growing up, even in an environment with uh, my siblings, you know, when mom and dad are super furious or like, what well, we got each other, at least like, let's still <laughs> stick together. you kind of need to find, you know, you dig in the trenches and you kind of like, well, we're in here together. Like we might as well survive and thrive. So, um, so there's kind of that component. So that's good to hear that it wasn't, you know, coming from all angles for you. 
Um, but, but at what point in time when you were at Cal, did you kind of start to sense that, oh, gosh, for back, lack of better terms, Maggie, I mean, that some of the, the coaching staff kind of had it out for you. Like you were kind of earmarked for there's an opportunity here where we can get her out and get somebody else in and let's cut our bait and run. How early into your playing career collegiately did you kind of were you, were you made aware that this was kind of starting to become an issue here? Yeah. So freshman year was relatively clean from that. I would say um, our coach had a special way of, you know, making sure that you felt you weren't doing quite good enough. So you were always working harder. I assume that sure. was the intent behind it. Um, by the end of freshman year, there was one particularly bad meeting it was after a spring game um, in which I had, I don't know, after a game, we lost like four zero to Santa Clara and I was upset and I had talked to a teammate and I was like, Oh, I'm just frustrated. Like no one seemed like they cared. Like, I don't know if this is like the right type of environment. If like we're losing like that and no one cares. And then word got back to my coach and he had, you know, a meeting in which he screamed at me that he would sign my transfer papers tomorrow. And uh, how dare I do something like that? Um, and I was all caught off guard because I'd never seen this side of him before. And I was like, wait, I, I don't understand. Like I was just blowing off steam with a teammate after a game. Like this isn't me talking about really, you know, yeah. seriously considering leaving. Um, but that was kind of my first indication that like the person I was dealing with was not all, you know, sunshine and roses Sure. beyond, you know, again, he was someone who was very intense and he would have days where, you know, the assistant coaches would come in and be like, walk on eggshells today. Like he's in a mood. Um, so for me personally, I didn't really have that start until like the end of freshman year. I played a lot freshman year, played in almost every game. Sophomore year, I started a fair amount of games, but at that point it was already, I was, it was like a, he knew I was going to be the starting out back junior outside back junior year. So he was giving me like, it was like a, he didn't necessarily love me as a person. Um, but was, willing to endure me of, I don't know why, I guess I really rubbed him the wrong way. Um, Part of it was my, I think, curiosity. I ask a lot of questions and I never mean that in the wrong way, but if someone who, you know, (laughs) I'm married to somebody who says the same thing. I just ask a lot of questions. I'm not trying to offend you. Like, I just really want to know. So I I would ask, you know, if it's real, I'm like, what do you want us to play it to? Because he was that particular and, and yeah. Upper class. Are you question my authority? Yeah, yeah. they're like, uh-uh, uh-uh, don't ask say. that. Like, <laughs> do it, and then if you do it yeah. wrong, apologize. Um, yeah. So yeah, that didn't really start until beginning of sophomore year. I could tell he I wasn't his favorite person, and then junior beginning of junior year really flipped for me. And what what does that mean? It really flipped for you. Like you were tolerated. Yeah. And it was kind of like a mutual understanding of like, well. Obviously, you're going to be starting, but now now things kind of start to really rub. Yeah. And, so I had come and again, in. You, you know, you've, you've shared that you've talked about this on other podcasts, and, and, a, and I don't want to beat a dead horse. Um, I also don't want to bring up trauma, you know, that we have to con- for you to talk ad nauseum. Um, so I, I say that contextually, even for our audience, you know, when you're sharing experiences that you've had and stuff like that too. So I don't want to, I don't want to poke and prod too terribly much, but I, I ask just for the sake of like your own, um, your understanding of the situation and, and kind of reflection upon it. Um, 
enduring an environment that is like caustic and abusive and toxic and not quitting because I, there's probably countless stories of players who have just walked out of environments like that. And not had, specifically, there's lots. Yeah. And not had resources or anywhere else to go or somebody that they feel that, that will give them an opportunity just to be heard. Um, in the midst of that, you've got this junior year loom, looming, which is a massive year for a collegiate athlete. And things start to get pretty caustic. Um, through that, I'd love to be able to hear you share kind of what what you feel is pretty valuable um, to share with our audience. Yeah. So again, I don't know what the specific catalyst was of him making the decision like, no, we're done with her. We're going to try and get her to quit the team. But that year there were some, some pretty like, I don't know how else to put it, but traumatic <laughs> meetings. There were always the one-on-one -on -one meetings where I would walk out crying. I mean, most people would walk out crying from his office, but things he would say um, that were just not okay to say to any person, much less, you know, a really perfectionist 20 year old who wanted, and then like, even though I could tell he didn't like me, like I continued to try and play his game. I, I asked like, you know, what is it you want me to do? Let's do extra training, extra film. Like, what do you need from me? Like, I, cause I, I did respect him. Like I had, I had no reason other than the environment I had been in. I guess that's a reason to not respect someone, but Regardless, I was, I was still, I, you know, yeah. since I was eight years old, I was trained to respect your coach and be coachable and do what you could to, to play. Um, and so I would have these meetings where he would just basically equate missing a pass to being a bad person. So if you passed a ball to the wrong person, then you actually were doing it because you didn't trust him and you didn't trust the system. And therefore it was a reflection on you being a person who thought you were better than him, uh -huh. which again, sounds pretty twisted, but it, it was the way he would make you feel. And there were multiple meetings where I would, I have notes still on my phone because I would always journal throughout soccer of like, okay, hey, what do I need to work on this training? I'm going to work on my right foot. I'm going to focus on connecting every pass during this training session. And I would note, have notes after our meeting that would say things, you know, that, I just look back and I'm like, how was I so mentally twisted? I believed that like I wasn't making any progress as a player and it's okay. It was my fault and I needed to do better and do internal work and then come back to him and be better. Um, Which is literally like the definition of an abusive environment. It is. And it's, it's such a weird thing to explain because you say, Oh, like mental abuse, like what is that? And it's such a gray line between like, well, isn't that just a hard coaching environment? But there are ways that you, like I've had hard coaches. I have no, I love hard coaches. I yeah. want a coach to come to me and be like, Hey, that was awful. Be better. <laughs> sure. fine. I, I love yeah. that feedback. Yeah. But to like attack a person's character and make them question who they are and if as they're any good as a person, exactly. And their value. Yeah. And I think part of, part of the reason all the girls are so amazing on our team and also part of the reason it was such a toxic environment by our coach is that he would recruit perfectionists who wanted to do nothing but please and wanted to, would you, would literally die for what they wanted to do. Um, and it's, you know, it's the one thing you love more than anything and he has so much control over it. So right. yeah, things like that. There was one meeting where I was told that if I returned to the team senior years is the end of junior year, um, I would be toxic 
that he told me that a friend of mine had told him that. And I was like, that's simply not true. And I confirmed it with her later. She's like, of course I didn't say that. But like, he told me I was a financial disappointment that I was essentially like a a financial disappointment. How so? Um, yeah, I mean, well, no, hold on. I'm sorry. I, I, I'm getting all caught up in this. I'm like TMZ <laughs> right now. Like, tell me what you, so. Essentially, I was on full scholarship by that point, right. which again, could have contributed to why it was junior year that he decided not worth my time anymore. I want to get her to quit because if you know the NCAA rules, um, if a person is kicked off of a team for, um, whatever reason they get to keep their scholarship they're on, but they quit out of their own volition. Then they don't keep their scholarship and that goes back into the pot that the coach can reallocate to players. Right. So this is where, if you'll allow me, Maggie, um, and if, if we want to kind of still plant our flag here and check out the scenery for a little bit, we can, but this is kind of where I think this is a really good pivot for us. And to our listeners right now, if you are a player who may possibly play in college of any sport, if you are the parent of any collegiate level athlete, potentially the next 24 minutes, 23 minutes and one second of our conversation is going to become incredibly valuable for you because this is where the rubber meets the road for where uh, Maggie, I just, I love your passion and heart for the sport. Because it seems that at this point, you really have to start educating yourself on the rules and regulations for collegiate athletes in regards specifically to their scholarship, because that was threatened by the coaching staff that you were playing for. Now, this this can happen in, and you've shared with me, this has happened in a plethora of sports in different contexts across the country. Let's first, if, if you don't mind, I, I would love for you to share first about where studying the rules and regulations in regards for college scholarship athletes kind of started and, and how this kind of progressed to become not only your, your passion, but your advocacy for college athletes as well. Um, to protect student athletes from abusive coaching environments and manipulation. Do you, do you mind kind of starting there? Yeah, no, that's, okay. I think that's a great place to pivot. Um, okay. So to start, I was considering transferring after my sophomore year, just because it wasn't a super healthy environment, despite not like experiencing the abuse I later experienced. Um, so I, I was looking at that at that point and, um, so I'd kind of started to look at the rules a little bit. And then when things got really bad and I started getting these weird empty threats about taking my scholarship and whatnot, um, that's when I started to get worried because, you know, one of five kids, like you didn't, I didn't want to make my parents pay for the scholarship that they had yeah. thought was, you know, going to be something they didn't have to pay for anymore. Um, so, and I had two siblings the same age in, in college. Yeah. You got a brother who's a lawyer, so he was already racking up the college bills too. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so my brother, who's a lawyer, my older yeah. brother, Connor, who like had always kind of shared my love for soccer specifically. Um, yeah. and was like, you know, the classic older brother who I turned to, I was like, what do I do? Is he going to take yeah. my scholarship? I'm, I'm going to get kicked off this team. I don't know what to do. Um, and so he, was happened to be interning with the um, or working for the NCAA compliance department at UCLA. 
because he loves sports. And so he was familiar with that type of um, information and as a, you know, law student and then eventually attorney was able to advise me on what my rights were as a student. And I remember just being enlightened, like, oh, I'm chilling. As long as I follow all the rules and I don't do anything, then get me kicked off this team. Like they can't take my scholarship. I just have to show up. Um, and of course I still loved soccer and that's why I wanted to, to get through it as well was to continue to play. Um, and my parents never put pressure on me to keep it, but part of it was like, I didn't want to make them pay for it. And I also was like, I earned this, like, this is nothing yeah. to do. What a you great know. perspective, Maggie, really. That, that's, that's a godsend to be able to have kind of that perspective in that moment. That's, yeah. that's, it's kind of rare. Cause you, like you said, you had other teammates that were just like, it's not worth it. Yeah. Yeah. And it goes back to. That goes back to your, you know, your belief in yourself as well. Yeah. Right? It, was, it was also just to jump back to like the playing part of it, kind of a pivotal moment of when I found that confidence in myself, because I almost feel like I'd hit rock bottom with like, mm. I was getting, that sounds so dramatic, but <laughs> <laughs> I've gotten so much um, like critique about myself that I'd sort of like kind of turned a corner that like this, you know what, if I, if I don't believe in myself now, I'm never going to. So right. like, I'm just going to play for myself. And I felt like my soccer even got a lot better because I wasn't constantly overthinking every little decision I made on the field. Mm. Um, so yeah, I basically at that point was like, all right, I'm going to get through it. And I have my teammates, they were all very supportive of me, you know, little things. And like, people would text me after practice, like, Hey, you killed it today. I know you're not going to get that from the coaches, but you know, yeah. we see you, you're doing amazing. Um, so it did feel like it was still a team. There was just this really one obstacle um, in my way. Um, so yeah, that was kind of like a, a pivotal moment, but I, I truly forget your first question. <laughs> you know, I'm not going to lie. I probably forget my, my question as well. I have like a immediate memory of 30 <laughs> seconds later, it, it goes, no, I, I, you know, it was the bigger thing of like, what was, like what helped kind of give birth to what becomes case, uh, right? So, yes. <laughs> so what, what were the lessons that you started learning again, to go from believing in yourself and, and having to, it's one thing to be an advocate for yourself, right? And especially in an abusive environment, it's another thing to be an advocate for somebody else who's also receiving similar abuse and, or, manipulation or abuse of power, like just abuse of like the structure and the relationship and things like that. So, and, and I can relate to that personally in my own life as well. So I, I know exactly what that, that feels like, um, having lived in environments in myself, uh, in my, in my, my, my young adult life where abuse was occurring and then becoming like an advocate for those that were, it wasn't me, but for, for people in my life that were being abused. Yeah. So, so where did th like this, like, you're dealing with the situation for the, the way that you're being treated. So there's, it's one thing to be an advocate for yourself, which most people are like, I, I don't know if I can get you out of here, but I'm going to Shawshank Redemption myself out of here. Like we're going, <laughs> like I'm out. I don't know if you could find the way, way right out with me, but Hey, let me, you know, if, if, if that's the case, great. But, but your advocacy, advocacy kind of changes from being not only for your context, but, it, but it kind of, it pivots. So, did it pivot? How did it pivot? And like, what were, what were the catalysts there for you? Yeah. Um, it definitely did pivot, uh, which is why we, me and my brother formed case, but it kind of started 
with, I would have people, I mean, the athletic community is pretty small at any school. People knew I'd had like some rough times with my coaching. Like I thought about transferring friends on other teams. Um, and so people would start coming to me with questions related to compliance. Cause they're like, Hey, like, I know this wasn't your exact thing, but like, do you know, mm. what do I, what's going to happen to me if X, Y, Z happens? Um, and I would give them my answer or I would go to my brother and ask him. And I remember, I think it was, it was winter of junior year. We had this conversation, Connor and I, oh, maybe it was senior year. Might've been senior year. I, I was my 21st birthday when it happened, but we were like, dang, this should exist. Why does this not exist? Like, where do student athletes go when they have issues? Like I clearly had issues and there, there was nowhere for me to go. Like we couldn't go right. to compliance because that was a direct line to like letting your coach know yeah. what was happening. Yeah. Might as well as go to HR. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> might, yeah. Might as well just like, tell them like, Hey, I sure. hate you. Yeah. 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 Um, so, so can you share what case like what the acronym is and what it means. Yeah. To. So it's cases CAC. Um, so college athlete compliance inquiries. Um, we thought about inquiries with an I, but we thought case sounded better than CACI as an acronym. Um, Smart. Good marketing. Yeah. <laughs> thank you. I do my best. <laughs> uh, so pretty much we realized that, hey, if, if I had compliance like questions. We're sure other athletes have them and are scared to bring them forward for a variety of reasons, yeah. anonymity, scholarship, etc. Um, and also like it's, it's not designed to the, the compliance rules are not designed to be read by a regular person. You're not equipped to do it. It's hmm. they're written by lawyers for lawyers. Yeah, so sounds familiar. Yeah. Yeah. That, I mean, there's no empowering of the student athlete to take advantage or have that knowledge in their in their toolkit to make decisions that are right for themselves. So that was kind of really the, the goal of case was to provide that resource. Um, and it just kind of built out from there. That's still the main thing we do. Um, we've helped now over a hundred student athletes for free. And that was something I really wanted was it to be free because student athletes don't have a bunch of money in their pockets yeah. and, and this should be a resource they have access to. So we've yeah. just been doing it um, on our own. And now we've also started to expand to help prospective student athletes um, start to know their rights because really the process starts when you verbally commit. So when I was 15 and verbally committed, that's when I really should have known all of this information and known what I was signing, you know, especially eventually with my NIL and all of that. So there's a lot to it that they, they glamorize in the process and they say, Oh, it's so fun. You could just sign this piece of paper, but here's a sweater. Yeah. Yeah. yeah like you're signing a contract and <laughs> yeah. A legally binding contract at 15 years old. Of course, we don't have, you know, uh, kids aren't allowed to sign stuff like that, but gosh, you can still sign it, you know, sub 18 and things like that. So if, so for you, okay, so today it's not, you know, it's pro bono, if you will. Um, and we're going to get to kind of that aspect of kind of what that looks like down the future for you guys. Can you list for our audience, at least the, some of the different, at least sports, and if you don't mind sharing whether we're dealing with the male side of the game or the female side of the game, uh, what what sports, you know, that, that you guys have had the opportunity? Because 100, I mean, I, I imagine there's some commonalities there, but there's also some kind of niche things that kind of happen there. So, yeah, we've had, yeah. I, I could be wrong, but I'm fairly sure we've had a question from every sport. 
um, across all the different ones. Um, we've had both male and female people coming to us and asking questions. Um, because this, this issue is not like a single sport issue. Um, we, the way we do our outreach is we do direct outreach from student athlete rosters and then, um, send them emails and say like, Hey, if you guys have questions, reach out to us. It's a lot of transfer questions because that has so many rules and, you know, you don't want to trigger certain processes to start happening. If you give your school, you know, for example, if you give them notice that you want to transfer, you're actually like, if you give official notice, you're giving up your scholarship for the following semester. So there's a lot you need to consider before you actually make decisions. Um, Again, this isn't always common knowledge. So our goal is just to, to let people know that. And then we have a lot of coaching relationship issues, toxic team issues, COVID-19 eligibility questions and just things you might not want to bring forward to your coach or to your school, even if you have a really positive relationship with them. You just need that third party um, person to go to. Yeah, just somebody that's very objective looking at the situation. Um, And, you know, I imagine that this is every conference, every college playing conference in the country. This is dealing with NCAA, Division II, Division III. So you're, you're probably dealing with the broad scope of all of college sports, correct? We are. Yeah, I would say majority of our questions come from D1 players because a lot of that, ha- there's more hoops to jump through in terms of transferring. And that's where we've done the majority of our outreach. But we have helped someone from NAIA, D3, D1, and D2. Yeah. And, and I think that's really important for athletes to know that like a lot of these things, even though the scholarship money is a lot smaller, at say a D3 school. It's also Maggie. I love what you said earlier. Like I earned this opportunity. I didn't just, I didn't, it wasn't just handed to me, but I actually deserved it. That's why they gave it to me. And, and embracing that and knowing that like, that's, that's also the commitment that they made and exactly. that they've got, they've got to follow through on that too. Um, what would you say, you know, in thinking about case where you're like, yeah, hey, we're pro bono. This is great. We're working for free forever. You know, if you were to, to, I mean, what's the trajectory there for your organization? I mean, is it that, hey, we can use this podcast to try to get more people who are interested in law to start coming alongside more student athletes for protections? Is it that, hey, we've got to find a way to where colleges need to have every single college campus needs to have someone who's compliance. That's an advocate for student athletes. What, what's the vision here? What are we trying to build? Yeah. Uh, Connor and I have talked a lot about this. I think number one, we would love to be able to make this our full-time thing because both of us do it on the side in our free time yeah. purely because it brings us joy to know that we're helping others. Um, yeah. But we would love to, we're looking to make it something we can make sustainable and put our full time into Um through like donors and different partnerships with um, different organizations. So I'm pretty, I, I don't see a point where we're going to charge student athletes for their advice. Sure. Um, In our other. On the full like 501 C3 route, is it like a total nonprof? Like, okay. Yep. Absolutely. Certified all of that. Um, Which is cool. We're, and we, you know, we have a board, we have our board meetings. We're we're official, (laughs) Um, but we would like to make it to a point where, I mean, dream would be someone like the NCAA, you know, funding it, making it something that like they recognize within their community 
they have a huge problem that needs to be addressed, you know, yeah. and we're willing to help them. And like, we're willing, we're there, we're, we're literally already created. So like by doing yeah. this, they would lose nothing. And they would also be helping people that are, you know, part of their organization, whether they created the problem or not. But you, you also realize that an organization like NCAA doesn't really want to uh, bring on opportunities that's going to shed light to some of the things that they sweep under the rug due that is to true. oversight <laughs> neg negligence every day. Yeah. I, I'm a very, I'm not a massive uh, proponent. Mm, I don't want to get myself in trouble in future conversations I may have, but I might, might not be a future proponent of uh, a lot of things that happen on the NCAA level. Um, that's just me personally. So um, slice uh, like it to the empire in Star Wars. So I, it is, <laughs> but it's also like, for better or worse, they are in a position of power. Yeah. And like, at this point, they they've been receiving a lot of negative press for yeah. good reason, you yeah. know, and like, if they're looking to make a change, we're here and like, sure, we'd love your money. I love it. <laughs> also, like, yeah. in terms of brands that work with student athletes, both, you know, with the new NL or NIL, I can yeah. never I get those acronyms always confused in my head. Okay. But yeah. Those new rules. Um, and like the fact is that a lot of them are making a lot of money off of college athletics. And like if they're interested in, you know, potentially giving back in a way that's going to help these athletes that have helped them be so successful. Right. That's something we're looking at, too. So because you would think if Nike's writing checks to college, you know, football players that they would maybe care about the, some of the compliance. But, yeah. you know, they've also got buildings full, full, full of lawyers that probably are looking at this stuff, too. So, yeah. um how? <laughs> yeah, no, I love it. Um, I think it's real. I think what you're doing is is remarkable in that. I've thought for a long time in the space, specifically within sport, more in my context with soccer, is that how is it that we've existed this long as a country or as uh, the NCAA that there is? How is this not already something that is provided? Like, how is that? Who, who has been thinking and who has been like sleeping <laughs> at the helm that these things aren't already being talked about, addressed, approached, cared for, and stewarded? How is it flipping possible? Um, not the, the, like the Taylor Twelman, like, what are we doing? Like, <laughs> what are we doing here that like college athletes don't actually have an advocate that is like not the school, but somebody who is there to help them to make sure that they're cared for in an environment where it could be incredibly abusive and toxic. And this is not just soccer. I mean, my goodness, look at gymnastics and everything that that hole in sport has gone through in the last 10 years. It's, it's, it's golf. It's, it's, it's baseball. It's everything else under the sun. How is this not possible? Um, which is why I want to give such a platform to what your you and your brother Connor are, are building Maggie. And I hope that if the NCAA doubles does get involved, you find a way to create your, um, your documents there in your 501c3 that neither of you can get voted off the board because we know how <laughs> these things work out. So, um, how, how can people get involved in what you're doing today? Like how can people support what you're doing? How can people shed light to the work, the positive work that you're doing? And it's not always abusive. Like, let's be like, it's, this is not always, it's just like, Hey, that like, happened I, to be the catalyst for me for why we started it and why it became yeah, so aware. Yeah, of it's not always like the coaches, no. you know, and you know Hitler. Absolutely like, not. and a lot of people have great the... experiences, but I think yeah. that's even just as important. Even if you're having a great experience, you still should have access to this knowledge and this information. Yeah. Like, it shouldn't be only when you're in such a position where you're considering leaving or right. 
leaving the team. Like that's not the whole point is like, you don't have information right now. You only have the information they want to give you. Yeah. Yeah. Until they need to use the other information they haven't told you against you. Exactly. <laughs> right. <laughs> so information should equal empowerment. Like the more information you have, it should help you to make empowered decisions about your playing career and your options within that playing career. And that's why it's really, yeah. really valuable that that student athletes understand what their their options are. Yeah. Uh, now, sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, if people want to get involved, you know, if you know someone in need, recommend them to us. Number one, if you want to reach out and have questions, please feel free. If you know, like yeah. an organization that would potentially want to partner with us or work with us, or, you know, you have a connection with the NCAA and want to let them know who we are and think it's a good idea. Yeah. Any, We're open to anything. Yeah. And I, I almost wonder, you know, I know at a lot of youth clubs, there's kind of like a liaison within the club that is kind of in charge of facilitating a lot of the collegiate conversations for players um, and kind of the, the marketing of players and getting players kind of signing letters to commit. And I almost wonder, even at the youth level, if this is something that whoever is at your youth club that is in charge of kind of overseeing some of these conversations, your organization is really val valuable for them to make sure that early on they're having that information before they even sign our letter of intent, correct? Yeah, it's something we're looking to expand into. We're developing yeah. some webinars um, and like a couple of different, you know, presentations for people because it yeah. really does start at that level. And when you're beginning to look at colleges, you should start to have this information. Um, yeah. And hopefully then you, you avoid the toxic environment or the potential need to transfer all, to begin with right. if you're well-equipped. Right. Or no, no, no parent and no student athlete themselves wants to be playing in an environment where they're playing out of fear. Yes. <laughs> fear, fear, of fear of losing their scholarship. You might always lose your spot because somebody else might come in. And that's just kind of like, that's just sport. Like that's the way that it goes. But you never want to be able to be in fear of losing your position of even being a scholarship athlete, losing the opportunity for education, which is why your, your athletic career has afforded you to receive that education. You never want to be in the position to where you're fearful of losing that. Maggie, I've got, I've got two last things that I want to jump on and I want to be, uh, have us be able to jump off here. Um, but the first thing, a question we always ask on our show, and I, I hid this one from you so you wouldn't know it was coming. Um, but we always ask everybody like Maggie, you are given one wish wave of the wand sweeping law that you get to enact immediately in regards to the game of soccer in our country. Now, when you get to make this wish, it happens with immediate and intended effect. Hmm. What do you wish? What do you wish for? Um, it's hard. I mean, I had an answer before equal pay was announced, but that one's stolen from me now. Um, okay. I think it would be and this is not really a law that can be enacted, but my wish would be that people, no matter where they come from, what club they come from, are all given equal opportunity to prove themselves. Because I think, sadly, there are still a lot of political games played in soccer, yeah. which yeah. is a great way Soccer Geeks is getting involved by helping yeah. to even that playing field a little bit. I'm but, just saying, yeah. <laughs> yeah, like I just think it's, you know, being able to have a chance. If you're like a little kid with a dream, you can do it. Like I did it and I had bumps along the way, but it still made me who I am and given me all the opportunity in the world. Like it's given me a passion. It's took me to Cal, which was a great school. So I think, yeah, just finding a way 
in the world. I don't know what the answer is. Maybe it's soccer geeks. Maybe it's a com- combination of things, but sure. to make sure everyone has a chance to play if they want to. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a big fan of that personally. I'm a big fan of soccer geeks, kind of what we're trying to do and the conversations we're trying to have and the app we're trying to build and the opportunity we're trying to give to, to players across the country from, from every, every background and every, you know, I, again, I, I, I want the kid in the inner city to have the same opportunity as the kids in the suburbs. And that doesn't mean that the kids in the suburbs can't be as good as the kids in the, the inner city. I think that now we've kind of tipped the scales like this, like there's no value there, you know, um, but, but there is. Um, it doesn't matter where you come from. Can you ball or what? So, uh, Maggie, thank you so much for your time that you spent on the show with us today. Um, if people wanted to get, um, connected with you and your organization, uh, how other than the 15 year old boys that are always trying to follow you on Instagram, how, (laughs) how do, how do people get connected with uh, case and what you guys are building? Um, yeah, so we have a website, caseanswers.com. You can also email me or my brother and co-founder Connor, um, Connor at caseanswers.com, Maggie at caseanswers.com. Um, yeah, the website kind of does it all. C-A-C-E, right? C-A-C-E. Yeah, people in the, yeah, so it's not C-A-C-E, caseanswers.com, Maggie and or Connor. And if you email Maggie first, Connor's going to beat you up. Just so you know, it's his <laughs> I'll yeah, see Maggie, you. Soon. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. Again, thank you so much, not only for sharing your story that you've shared with us today, um, but what I think people need to also kind of absorb a little bit from the conversation is that it's not just the challenges that we face that help define us, but it's kind of, it's the pressure that produces that diamond that we take forward to make the world a better place, better than we found it. And so I just want to applaud you and say, thank you so much from all of everything that we're trying to create at soccer geeks here, but also for me personally, um, just thank you so much for what you're trying to do to make the, the experience better for college athletes across the country. I applaud you. We support you in any way that we can support you now and in the future. You just let us know. So thank you so much for your contribution today. Well, thank you. And thanks for the opportunity. And I'm looking forward to, you know, staying in touch with soccer geeks.